This morning we start in Romans chapter 12. The first, cha- first 11 chapters of Romans have been rather doctrinal. They've been, Paul has been laying the foundation of doctrine and he has done it in great length. He has done it in great depth and he has done it in great detail. And it all went around his thesis statement, which was in Romans chapter 1, verse 16 and 17, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the just shall live by faith. At the end of Romans chapter 11, I could just see Paul laying down his pen saying, I have proved that statement, that I am not ashamed. And we talk about ashamed doesn't mean I'm not embarrassed at the water cooler at work. It means I can, it, the gospel of Christ will stand up to every doctrinal argument that you can throw at it. And he went through the first 11 chapters. Well, what then? What then? What then? Therefore, therefore, he kind of showed it all to us. Now, he talked about some amazing doctrines. He talked about the doctrine of condemnation, which is we're all under sin. He talked about the doctrine of justification, which means we're justified, we're made just as if we'd never sinned by the blood of Christ. He talked about the doctrine of glorification, that we have a hope of living in glory with Jesus Christ someday. He talked about man's freedom from sin, how the old man has died, and how we're to reckon the old man dead. And we're talking about the freedom from sin. And he talked, and we came to chapter 9 through 11, and it seemed to be all about Israel. And he focused on Israel's past election by God. And then he focused on Israel's rejection of the Messiah. And then as we came to chapter 11, he focused on Israel's future restoration, how God wasn't done with the nation of Israel. Well, now, as we come into chapter 12, in chapter 12 and the remainder of this book, Paul's going to tell us what we should do with all of this doctrine. He's going to tell us how we should implement it into our life. You see, there's some people that will study the first 11 chapters of Romans and they will be doctrinally smart. They will have it all down. They'll have all their I's dotted and their T, almost said their I's crossed, their T's dotted. I's crossed, I's, now I'm going to say it. You guys know what I mean. They'll have it all together, but they never actually live out what they believe. It never, it never leaves their mind and enters their heart where it affects their life. It just becomes intelligence it becomes wisdom it becomes smart but it never ever affects the way they live and now as we come into chapter 12 Paul's gonna say here's what I want you to do with it as a result of what I've told you now here's what I want you to do and this morning we're gonna look at the first couple of verses we're gonna look at the first couple of verses and you know what if we if Paul just quit right here if he just quit without the practical application that is coming in these following chapters we would be filled with head knowledge it would be, we'd be smart, but we wouldn't know what, what does it look like in our life? What is it, how should it change me? How should it affect me? And that's what we're going to look at this morning. This morning, two verses. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Then we're going to have communion together, and then we'll close our service. And you say, why only two verses? Because there is a lot in these two verses. So Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Read verses 1 and 2 along with me. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Entire books have been written about these two verses. Scholars have spent years studying them. It's been, it's, there's much that's been written. 
But what do they simply mean? It's how are we going to apply these to your life? Let's just kind of walk through them like we do every other passage of Scripture. Let's take them bit by bit and piece by piece. He starts out, I beseech you. That's not a common phrase. No, none of you have beseeched anybody or, or set, used that word this week. Probably you never went to your... Now, now, the most common thing would be your kids beseeching you. What does the word beseech mean? Begging you. I beg you. I implore you. I, I'm literally, literally, it means begging. You know, you, you, ever, you ever kids, mom, can I please, please, can I, dad, can I please, please, will I, let me please? That's what it means. Paul's saying, I beseech you. I'm begging you. And by the fact that Paul is begging you to do something... It implies there's a choice on your part, doesn't it? No different than a child coming to a mother saying, Mom, can I please go outside and play? No, or yes. There's a choice that gets to follow that. Just like this morning, we're going to see that Paul's, going, Paul's begging us. He's beseeching us. He, he, he's, going, he's going to ask us to do something. But don't forget that you have a choice. You can either do what he's going to ask you to do, or you can not do it. Now, I want you to remember that this is the word of God here. This is Paul speaking the word of God. And I want you to ask this question before we go any further. Are you willing to do what Paul's asking you to do? You say, well, I, I don't know. No, it's either a yes or a no at this point. You see, at this point, you either, you either resigned to yourself and said, this is the word of God. It is, it is the standard by which I live by. I want to I take my life and I want to conform it around the word of God. Or it isn't. If it is the word of God and it is... What you live by, your, your answer is yes, of course I'll do what he wants me to do. I'll try, I'll do my best. With his help, I can accomplish this. But if the word of God is not your standard, you probably said, well, I don't know. I want to hear what it is first. What's he asking me to do? What, what, what does he want me to do? The Apostle Paul is speaking to us directly this morning. It's as if he's standing here, and I don't want to pretend to be him because I, I, I couldn't be the Apostle Paul, nor would I want to be, but he's begging you, he's beseeching you to do something Ask yourself this question and then answer it out in your mind. Don't answer out loud. Are you willing to do what he's asking you to do? It's a simple yes or a no question. He says, I beseech you, therefore. The word therefore, when it refers to what came before it. It's in, in light of the last 11 chapters. In light of the, what I've just told you to this point, he's, he's, he's going to tell us why he's begging us. Therefore, I am begging you by the mercies of God. I'm begging, you by, I'm begging you because of the mercy God has shown you, because of what God has done for you, because of, what I just, because of the glorious doctrines I showed you, because of the amazing things God, because of the mercies that God has shown you and told you that Paul has told us about in the previous chapters. Well, what were they? Just to highlight a few of them, justification from the guilt and the penalty of sin. You can be justified as if you'd never sinned. Adoption of Jesus and identification with Christ. We talked about being adopted as we're, we're relating to Christ. We're placed under grace and not the law. Aren't you glad that you don't have to keep the law? Aren't you glad that we're, we don't have to worry about that? He gave us the Holy Spirit to live within us. He told, he told us that. Promises of help and affliction. Assurance of God's standard in election that, that, we've been, that, he, that he, he knows what's going on in our life. His help and affliction, his standing in God's election, confident in his coming glory. These are all things that Paul showed us in previous studies. Confidence, nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. The love of God, nothing can separate us. That, that's good things. Confidence in God's continued faithfulness towards you. In light of all of these things, in light of God's mercy, in light of God, what God has done for you, now he's simply asking you to do something for him. It's as simple as that. If you were to compare what God has done for you on the cross 
the promises of the word, given you the scriptures, all the things that God has done with you. And we were to stack all of those things that God has done for you over here. And then on this side, we'll stack all the things you have done for God. How would they weigh out? Which one's going to be more weighty? Which one's going to be heavier? Well, the things that I've done for God don't compare to what he's done for me. That, we just spent the last several months studying some amazing things in, in the first, first 11 chapters that God has done for me. With all that God's done, with his scale overwhelmingly throwing ours into the air because his is so much heavier, are you willing to do this for him? That's what Paul's begging for. Are you willing to take all the mercy that God's shown you and are you willing to do this for him? Look what he, look what he wants us to do. What's our reasonable service? What is it that you're asking us to do, Paul? Chapter 12, verse 1, again, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that's all that God's done for us, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. That's it? You just want me to present my body as a living? It's simple. I want you to present your body as a living sacrifice. Maybe you're going, Whew, I thought he wanted my bank account. I thought he wanted this, or I thought he wanted my car, or this, or that. No, he wants your body. He, now, now, that does mean all of you. That doesn't just mean part of you. Paul's telling us we are to present our bodies as living sacrifices. What does the word present mean? Present means this, to offer, to put at one's disposal. To offer up to, to put at one's disposal, to yield to. The picture is, are you willing to take your body, which encompasses your body, that your arms and your hands and your feet, it encompasses everything you are, everything you own, everything, you, your whole person, your whole totality, are you willing to offer it up to God and put it at his disposal? After all he's done for you, he says, will you give me your life, your body, your breath, all that you have, and will you offer it up to God for his disposal? He wants you to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. As a living sacrifice. Body, like I said, it's just, what it's just what it says. It's all of you. It's your flesh. It's your entire being. It's all of you. Paul is also telling us that our bodies matter to God. In 1 uh, Corinthians 6.20, he tells us that we were bought at a price. That the blood of Christ on the cross purchased you. He paid the price for you. And now he's simply saying, will, will you give me what I bought? Will you give me what I paid for? Will you, will you live for me? Will you, will, you will you offer yourself up to me? Now this would go against all of the Greek and the Roman culture that was of that day. They believed the body was evil and would have never thought of presenting their body to Christ. They only had their, their spirit was which was connected to God and it kind of formed the roots of Gnosticism and that went on from there. But the idea here is that Paul's saying, my body, all of me, everything I have, including my bank account, including my work, including my mind, including my gifts, my musical gifts, my financial gifts, all of the things that God has made me, will you lay it on the altar to him as a living sacrifice, as a living sacrifice? The Lord purchased us, but he, he purchased you, but he's waiting for you to give him what he bought. Think of it as like the cashier. You're waiting for her to bag the groceries so that you can have it. I paid the price. Now give me my groceries. I want to go. It's got to be willing. It's got to be a willing thing. Notice he says your body's a living sacrifice. Now, we don't really know what that word sacrifice means, do we? In our culture, sacrifice means, you know, maybe putting money in the offering box. Maybe we see a sacrifice as doing something for the Lord. Maybe I'm going to sacrifice in some way. And, you know, it tends to be minor little 
kind of minute sacrifices. But in that culture, both Hebrew and Gentile, they knew exactly what a sacrifice was. They had the picture in their mind of the sacrifice. They had the picture in their mind of them taking a lamb to the altar, taking the lamb to the temple. They had a picture in their mind of the, of the lamb being killed before them, the blood being drained out, the dead body being laid on the altar, being bur- bur- uh, burned up, the blood being put on the horns of the altar. They knew what a sacrifice was. That lamb sacrificed for their sins as they placed their head, hands upon the head of the lamb and their sins would be transferred and the blood of that lamb would atone for their sins. They understood what a sacrifice was much more than we understood today. And that sacrifice, that lamb would be laid on it, would be a burnt offering to the Lord. It would be fully consumed by fire. Then we read it was what? It was a sweet-smelling aroma to God. Their sacrifice was a sweet-smelling. God's not asking us to kill ourselves. He's asking us to present ourselves as living sacrifices. Will you just live for me? He died for us. Will you live for him? It's as simple as that. Let me put it this way. As Christians, we, need, we are to present our bodies as a living sacrifice unto the Lord. Paul says it's our reasonable service. It's reasonable. I'm, Paul says, I'm not asking you anything that doesn't fit, doesn't make sense. After all he's done, and we talked about the scales, after all that Christ has done, all that God has done, isn't it just simply reasonable that we say, thank you, Lord, here I am, use me. Here I am, send me. It, isn't that just simply reasonable? That's what Paul's saying. It's not that hard. Again, let me just, for context, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Notice what Paul says about our sacrifice. It must be holy. It must be acceptable to God. This refers to how we're living our life. It refers to what we're doing. If I'm living a life of sin... If I, let me put it this way. Let's just say that I'm somebody who's stuck in sin and I'm stuck in habitual sin. Lord, here's my body. You can have it, but I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. Well, no, that's not really offering my, my body to God. That's not, my, my body's not set apart to the Lord. I'm not, I'm not offering my life. I'm saying to the Lord, Lord, you can have this part of me, but you can't have that part of me. Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm willing to give 50% of myself to you. I'm willing to give you my life on Sunday mornings from 10 to 11:15, but he better not go late. Or I'm willing to give my time, my, some of my time for you throughout the week. But that's not what God wants. God wants all of it. And he wants it to be holy. He wants it to be acceptable. How, does, how do we become holy? Believing on Jesus Christ. It's through salvation. It's not through works. I believe on Jesus Christ. I become holy. But that cha- then I begin to change. He begins to change the, the way that I'm living my life. I offer my life to him and say, Lord, here it is. It all belongs to you. Whatever you want to do with it, it belongs to you. But so often we get stuck with this idea in our culture that we want to give the Lord part of our life. We want to give the Lord a piece of our life, some more than others. Some of us might say, well, I have this thing going on in my life. Yeah, I know it's not right. I have this sin. It's, maybe it's a sexual sin. I, I got this thing going on. I'm not going to give the Lord that part. Lord, you can only have all the rest of my life. Or maybe I've got, well, I'm not going to give the Lord my TV time or my movie time because, well, after all, I need to relax a little bit. You know, that, that's, that's, that's my time. That's me time. That's not presenting your body, all whole body as a living sacrifice. That's only presenting part. You know what the amazing thing is? He'll use whatever you give him. He really will. He'll use whatever you give him. And if you don't give it all of him, you know who's missing out? You are. You're the one missing out because you're not going to get to watch him use it. This type of sacrifice where you're only given part isn't 
completely holy and it's not completely acceptable. He wants all of us. Even in the Old Testament, the sacrifices were holy and acceptable. What did they have to get? Leviticus chapter 1, they're supposed to bring a, a lamb without blemish. You don't bring, you don't bring, just, you, it had to be a perfect lamb without blemish, the best of what you had. It wasn't just a matter of, oh, I just want to bring this one. Or, uh, and, and, then, and then again in Deuteronomy, but if there is a defect in it, in the lame or the blind, or has any serious defect, you shall not sacrifice it to the Lord. You don't bring the lamb that's about to die and go, all right, Lord, this one's yours. You don't bring the one that got hit by a, I was going to say a car, they didn't have cars back then. But the, they got, hit, got run over and say, all right, Lord, this one's already half dead, so you can have the rest of it. It's you bring, you, you bring the, a lamb without blemish, a lamb that's holy, a lamb that's acceptable to the Lord. You come to the Lord this way, and that's how he wants us to come. Paul's begging us to present our bodies, to present your body, your life as a sacrifice to the Lord. And he is saying it's your reasonable service. After all that God has done for you, will you offer your whole body all that you are to the Lord? Will you, are you willing to do that? Are you complete surrender to his will? Even if you don't know what he's going to do with it. Because that's the scary part, right? Lord, what are you going to do with what I offer you? He's not going to tell you. Because then you might not offer it. But I can assure you, if you'll offer it, and then you walk with him and he does it, it's amazing to watch. It's amazing as he takes something that's broken down, that's not, doesn't, that you would think, I could never do something like that. And then he, he ch- changes you, he just puts things together, he brings people around you, and he does amazing things with the, with the heart and the mind that's willing. And it says, Lord, here I am, send me. Whatever you need me to do, I'm willing to do it. Paul says it's our reasonable service. But that's not all Paul wants to tell us this morning. Look at verse 2. He jumps right into it. Do not be conformed to this world. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good, acceptable, perfect will of God. Conformed. What does the word conform mean? It means to form or mold one's behavior in accordance with a particular pattern or set of standards. It means to shape one's behavior, to conform one's life. Paul's saying do not shape your behavior or life around the standards of the world. In other words, the world is is not going to affect you. You're going to affect the world. Christians should not pattern their lives after the ways of the world. Our lives should look different than everybody else's. We we shouldn't be comfortable in a a place of sin, or we shouldn't be comfortable around people that are living in habitual sin. We shouldn't be comfortable in those places. It shouldn't just be, not that we don't go there to reach them for ministry, but we we shouldn't be comfortable living in that. It should bother you when something comes on television that you don't want to, because you know it's sinful. Just recently, Rebecca and I and, and the kids started watching a, a TV show. It was called Pure Genius, and it was about a medical thing. Rebecca's always liked the medical field, and it wasn't, but I, not, I don't know, maybe four episodes into it where all of a sudden the sexual theme came into it. We turned it off. We don't watch it anymore. It started out as a relatively interesting movie. It had, I mean, a, a TV show. had a thing going on, and then as soon as it got back, I won't go there. We, and you know what the sad part is? We knew it was coming. We knew the plot was going to unfold that way. We, we saw it coming. You know, I won't watch it anymore. I'm not going to do that because I know that's not healthy for me. It's, it's pure sin. It's adultery. I can't sit and watch that. And if I do, I'm convicted of it because I'm not, I'm not. The world is constantly seeking to squeeze us into this mold to be something, to achieve something, to believe something. And it uses all these different creative ways to do it, doesn't it? Media, news, internet, articles, what about fiction books? There's a big thing in, in, with fiction books right now. 
There's people writing books about Christianity, but they're fiction. It started back when I remember the Da Vinci Code came out. And then last couple of years, it was The Harbinger came out about prophecies, the end of the world. Now it's they're making the movie of The Shack, right? But please remember these things are called fiction. And don't look to The Shack for your relationship with God. If you want to know about God, don't watch the movie The Shack. Read the Bible. If you want to go be entertained by it, and, and yes, I, personally, I, I, I read the book. I didn't care for it, The Shack. I'm not going to go see the movie. I did see some heresy in there. But that's not where I'm going to go to get my spiritual uh, enlightening from the Lord. It's not where I'm going to go to get, my, to get educated spiritually. I'm going to go to the Bible, to the book that God wrote that's not fiction, that's going to tell me all about him. And there's a bickering between Christians. The shack's good, the shack's bad. Who cares? It's fiction. The author calls it fake. That's what fiction means. It's not real. I don't care what parallel they're trying to parallel there. It's not real. But there's this, there's this push within our culture to try to make, we're going we're to give some truth, we're going we're gonna to move some out, and we're just going to kind of, we'll get everybody believe in this. And they fall in and, and people read it and Christian, yeah, that could be true. The shack says it. And you can't remember, why well, I spent more time reading the shack than I spent reading my Bible. So where did I hear that from? Is that from the shack or is that from the Bible? Let the Bible be the place where you go to learn about the Lord. If you want to be entertained by that, go be entertained by it. But let the Bible be your standard. Don't let that be the only thing that you're reading. And don't let that be the place where you go. Because our culture, our world is trying to conform you into its image. And if all you do is watch and go and do the things of the world, you are going to be conformed without you even knowing about it. That's the way that it happens. And if you're spending time in those places, make sure you're spending more time in the Bible. If you're reading those things, go ahead. Don't conform to the mold the world is trying to squeeze you into. It's hard. It's hard. Well, what does the Bible call us? A peculiar people. We don't, we don't want to be peculiar. We don't want to be different. We want to fit in. The Lord has called us to be different. The Lord has called us to realize this world is a temporary place for us and that we are here for ministry and we are tools in the hands of a living and a powerful God that says, I will fill you with the Holy Spirit and I will accomplish things that you never thought of possible. But don't be conformed to this world. Don't follow the things of this world. Don't look for your hope in this world. Don't, look, don't, don't think the president's going to make America great again. Don't think any of that stuff. My focus needs to be on Jesus Christ. Please, I'm not anti-political. Make sure you vote. But make sure my focus in my life for my family is on the Lord. And I don't care who's in office, whether it have been Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton, God's hand behind it, and he's doing whatever he's doing, and I can't seem to understand it. But I'm still going to exercise my right that I have to vote, and I'm going to do that. But here's the thing. We have to be people of God first, before we're Americans. God is the, not just the God of America. We are Christians. We were followers of Christ before all of that. He's saying, do not be conformed to this world. I remember years ago, I heard a sermon. It said, are you a thermometer or a thermostat? Never heard that before. Are you a thermometer or a thermostat? A, thermo a thermometer is always changing to the world around it. It'll always tell you the temperature with the world around it. It's just a reflection of what's going on around it. It's just, you're just reflecting whatever, it's just the heat or the cold, whatever it is that's going around it. But a thermostat, changes the environments in you can go over the thermostat and turn it up and turn it down make it hotter make it colder in other words are you led by your environment or are you influencing your environment are you being conformed to the world or are you influencing the world for christ as christians we need to be people who are influencing the world for christ and please that doesn't mean we act like a bunch of lunatics and we do crazy things. When people look at your life, they should see, they should look at somebody and go, I want to be like them. We should be the hardest working people out there. 
Our bosses should want more Christians working for them because we always show up on time. We always do a good job. We do the same job whether the boss is there or not. We always do our best. We go through hardships without a problem. We're always very honest. We don't lie. These are the kind of characteristics that we should be displaying as Christians. We should, we should be lighting up the world. At, wow, we need more Christians working in our business. We don't want, we shouldn't be, oh, the, yeah, the Christian's here. He, he's going to do his morning devotion. Then he might show up for work an hour later. Then he's going to take an extra long lunch. So, we, oh, he's fasting today. He's out praying in the parking lot. You know, that's not who we should be. We, when it's time to work, we should work. We should repre- realize we're working under the Lord. We're representing Christ. Well, how do we do this? How do we do it? Look what it says, the last part of verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We're to be transformed. We're to be transformed. This ancient Greek word, it describes a metamorphosis. It's a transformation that takes place. It's a metamorphosis that happens in somebody's life. It's the same word that used to describe Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. He was transformed. There was a metamorphosis that happened. His glory was seen by, the, by uh, Peter, James, and John. They, they saw his glory as he was transformed behind them. The only other place that this word is used, that Paul uses it in the scripture, is in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. It says this, But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. We need to have a metamorphosis, a transformation in our life. There needs to be a change in your life. There needs to be something that happens. Has your life been transformed? When you look back at an old picture of yourself 10 years ago, 20 years ago, what do you see? Do you see the same person? I'm not talking about physically. I'm talking about, do you, do you look at life the same way you did back then? This, this week I was sitting at lunch with my, with my dad and uh, we were talking about some, some, some old times back when I was just in college and all those kinds of things and it hit me. I'm not the same person. I'm not, that same, I'm not the same person that I was back then. We were talking about some things and some differences that we had and how, we saw, how, I, how we, I saw life differently back then and I realized I've been transformed. I, there's been a metamorphosis that's happened over a period of time. I am, when I look back at that person and I think of what I did and I think of the places I went and I think of all of what my life was focused on, that's not who I am anymore. Praise God. Because that life was full of sin. That life was not following God. And honestly, it wasn't a very happy life either. Happy hour wasn't very happy, let me tell you. They're just trying to fool you when they say it's happy. It's not really happy. But I've been transformed. Have you been transformed? Have you? Have we been transformed? We need to have this metamorphosis in our life. How are you transformed? By the renewing of your mind. By the renewing of your mind. To renew means to cause something to become new and different. Another, word, another definition says the act of reestablishing something. If you want to be transformed, you need to renew your mind. You need to cause your mind to be different. You need to reestablish your mind. Well, what does that look like? It means I'm going to take what the word says and I'm going to then live by that. I'm not going to look to the world standards of right and wrong. I'm going to look to the word standards of right and wrong. It's not the world, it's the word. We as Christians must constantly reestablish and renew our mind. Have you noticed that? Have you noticed that your mind, maybe this is just me and if it is and you can just humor me and listen. My mind seems a lot like a wild dog. 
you know. It wants to run all over the place. And I realized I got a backyard and I got to keep that dog in the backyard. Because if I let that dog get out and get into the neighbor's yard, he's going to eat the cat. And he, he's just going to be tearing all kinds of things. The garden's gone. All that stuff's gone. I've got to contain my mind within the yard or within the area that I know it should be contained within. I can't just let it run wild. Your mind do the same thing? You see, when you, st- when you, when you start to follow the Lord and you stop sinning in the flesh as much, then it's up in the mind. Then you have to play with, the, where's my mind going? No, 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 get back here. You can't go there. And you have to constantly be pulling it back. That's what Paul's talking about. Renewing your mind. You're, you're, you're renewing your mind to cause something to become new and different. You must reestablish your mind. You'll do this on the day you get saved. The day you believe on Jesus Christ, you realize all of my sins are forgiven. I'm renewing my mind. I no longer have to carry the guilt of my sins and shame. I know that I, I believe I'm renewing my mind to what the Bible says, that, that Christ died for my sins. But you will also need to establish this and do this every single day of your life. Sometimes multiple times throughout the day sometimes multiple times throughout an hour sometimes multiple times throughout a few minutes if you let your mind go wild it'll run it'll run and it'll run and it'll run it's like a wild dog chain it up i don't care if it's animal cruelty put the chain on the dog and bring it back put it in the yard and don't let it run where it shouldn't be running it'll only lead to trouble because we are constantly be to be transformed and this is accomplished by renewing our minds We must constantly, continuously be renewing our minds, reestablishing our minds in the ways of God and the word of God. Maybe there's someone out there that suffers with low self-esteem. You need to renew your mind and realize who you are in Jesus Christ, that he loves you, that that he created you, and he's given you the characteristics and the traits. You know, the way that God created you is the way that he wants you to serve him. You know, oftentimes we hear the, you know, somebody gets saved and we want them to go out and tell everyone about Jesus. Listen, if you were quiet and shy before you got saved, you're going to be quiet and shy after you get saved. If you were bold in proclaiming the word before you got saved, you're going to be bold in proclaiming the word and proclaiming things. If you were very opinionated before you got saved, it's going to, same thing's going to happen after you get saved. It's not, your, your personality doesn't change. Now God might bring it in and say, oh, you shouldn't be doing that. You shouldn't be talking like that. But be who you are. Be who God created you. Maybe if someone's prideful and arrogant, well, you know, I, I fall on that side of it. Well, then I have to remember who I am in the Lord. Who am I? I'm nobody. I'm a sinner saved by the grace of God. I can't think too highly of myself. I've got to remember that only by the blood of Christ. What do I, but I des- maybe you're one who thinks I'm, I'm entitled to. I deserve. No, what are, we enti- what are we entitled to? What do we deserve? Hell. That's what, we, that's what we're, you want to know what you're really entitled to? A one-way ticket straight to hell. But you know what the beautiful thing is? You can cancel it any time by believing on Jesus Christ. It's real simple. It's like that. He says, when you do this, When you place your body as a living sacrifice to God, you will prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You see, God's will is all three of those things. It's good, it's acceptable, and it's perfect. Good, it's referring to the positive moral qualities of of a very general nature. It's good. God's will for you is good. God's will for you is acceptable. That word acceptable means pleasing. God's will is going to be more pleasing to you than what the world is trying to call you into. Write it down, circle it. God's will is pleasing to you. You will be happier, more joyful, more cheerful, however you want to express it, if you are living in God's will. But he also says it's perfect. Not only is it good and pleasing, it's perfect for you. It's the reason you were created. It's the, when he created you in your mother's womb, he had this, his will planned out and he, 
He knew if you were going to walk in it or not, but there's this perfect path for your life. Will you walk in it? Well, how do I do it? Just be faithful today. Just do what he's, just, just walk with him today. Just his will, you, you, you never have to worry about the will of God not being perfect for your life. Doesn't mean it won't be hard. Doesn't mean it's going to be easy. Doesn't mean you'll never get sick. But what you can be sure of, that when God plans out his perfect will for your life, he's not focusing on your comfort here on earth. He's focusing on eternity. Because if we can make it 100 years on this earth, that's a long time. But it is nothing in the sight of eternity. It's nothing coming in the thousand-year millennial reign that's to come. It's nothing in eternity with the Lord. It's nothing once you pass from death to life with him. Whatever short time we spend here on this earth is going to seem so minor compared to the word eternity, infinity, forever, of no end. And that's what he's focusing on. He says, if you'll walk with me on this earth, my will for you, it'll be good, it'll be acceptable, which is pleasing, and it'll be perfect, and you will prove it. That my will, you will prove those things in my will. But you can't know what God's will is until you're transformed. You can't know what it is. You can't go to the Lord and say, all right, Lord, all right, I heard, I heard what he said today, but tell me what it is and I'll decide what I want to do. It's not the way it works. He says, I told you what I did. Now you decide what you want to do. I told you the price I paid. I told you, I, I've talked about justification. I've talked about righteousness. I've talked about freedom from sin. I've talked about all the things I've done for you. Now you tell me, are you willing to take the next step and lay your life as a living sacrifice to the Lord? When I say or when you say, Lord, I'm yours, all that I am, all that I have, everything belongs to you, that's when his will will start to unfold in your life. You see, it's possible to go to before the gospel and go, yeah, I hear the gospel, I agree with it. But you never actually put your life down. You never say, my life belongs to you, Lord. This, this is your life. If you want me to whatever, if, whatever you want me to do, I will do it. No, no. Sometimes we get stuck and say, well, Lord, I kind of want what you have, but I kind of want what the world has too. I kind of want both, Lord. I want to be a Christian. I want to go to church. I don't want to be that different. I don't really, I don't want you calling me away and, you know, to Cumberland or something like that. I don't want you to call me to Africa or Uganda or uh, Uganda is in Africa, but I don't want you calling me to Alaska or, no. If your will belongs to him, You'll go wherever, you, wherever he calls. You'll, you'll do whatever he does. You'll, Lord, what do you want me to do? My, my life is yours. And you will know, and you will be, when you do that, you will be proving that that will is good, acceptable, and perfect. If you never present yourself to Jesus or to the Lord in this way, why would you ever be able to discern his will for your life? Someone says this morning, well, I want to know what God has for my life. Then lay your, present your body as a living sacrifice to the Lord. Paul's begging you to do it. Paul says, I'm begging you. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God. It's your reasonable service. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. If you're willing to present all of yourself without reservation, every bit of you, by, by transforming your mind, you can learn what that perfect will of God is for your life. And you can be confident as you're making that decision that will is good, acceptable, and perfect. Pretty amazing, huh? Does he ask for too much? Lord, I just want your life. I could just hear him saying, I died for you, will you live for me? I died for you. Will you live for me? That's all I'm asking. Will you let me lead you? Will you let me guide you? 
And you know what the best part is? You don't have to do anything. Let the Holy Spirit do the work in you. It's amazing how he does it. It's amazing how he, he'll lead you and guide you from place to place and everything you go through prepares you for something else. It really is absolutely incredible.